0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another Legal Diaries podcast. I'm super excited today um, to be joined as part of the How To Be An Adult series by Donal who is a financial advisor. So I will pass over to him to introduce himself.
1: Thanks for having me on Danielle. Uh, Yeah my name is Donal, I'm a financial planner with S&P Financial. I've been doing this for the last number of decades. I suppose, for the most part, my job is to help people like you at all different stages in life and put the right parts of their their finance in the right place. I want a a better way of explaining it.
0: Amazing. And Daniel, I spoke um, previous to to recording and I was saying I have just started that journey. Unfortunately, but it's I'm I'm on the road. Um, but yeah, we're gonna dive into some kind of more general financial planning questions. So for anyone listening that is at a loss of where to start and what to do and what they should be doing for their future, um, one of the hot topics that I wave in and out of, um, or the the things that I wave in and out of doing is having a monthly budget. Should we be doing monthly budgets would you recommend that to your clients
1: um, simple answer is yes so um but i wouldn't get overly hung up on it and um, it depends i think you need to look at much as you look at your life look at your financial life as a journey and that will change over time you know as you as you go from starting a career you know through your 20s 30s maybe having a family or, or not as the case may be in this world Um, and then through a a stage in life where you might have more uh, you know progressed a little bit in the career and have more discretionary income right on through to retirement so um, when it comes specifically to budgeting I think you know at an earlier stage in life it tends to be more important and it becomes a I suppose it becomes an important discipline to understand what it is you you spend what's the essentials in your life uh, on a monthly basis whether that's um, rent, whether it's food, uh, budget for entertainment. I think the, the important thing we think is budgeting shouldn't really be something that's there to punish you. you know, it should be a, a reasonable discipline as in, you can't take money with you, right? So you, you've got to enjoy your life, um, but within reason. So uh, in, from a financial planning perspective, why we find budgeting important is that someone understands what it costs them to live their, their life, to run their household on a monthly basis. And then perhaps there's a there's a wedge of money left between what goes out and what comes in on a monthly basis. And then that's the money that you have at your disposal to make plans for the future with.
0: Yeah, I'm going to start doing my budget again. I like I'm usually pretty good, like I'm very aware like there's no rogue subscriptions coming in and way, Like I have some friends who will get a transaction on their bank. But they're like, oh, I wonder what that is. And they're like, oh, that's some subscription that I'm paying for something. So I'm very kind of aware. So maybe maybe that might be a start for um, all the millennials um, and Gen Zs out there is to figure out what subscriptions and what's coming in and out of their bank. Um, but when you say it doesn't have to be overly complicated, how how do I do, how would you recommend doing day-to-day budgeting then? Or are there any kind of apps or cheats that we can use?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of modernity helps with this. You know, if you use a red, card to break down a certain amount of, mm. of you know, what you spend on what and varying headings. Um, you're looking even at the, the mainstream Irish banks, AIB, will allow you to do an analysis of your expenditure and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I think there's two aspects to this. There's one is kind of post fact what did I do last month, you know, for example? And the next being, well, what, what should I do or what am I doing on an ongoing basis? So, I think from a, from a strict budgetary perspective, the thing to understand are really the big headings, you know, um, and that, that would be obviously rent, bills, food, you know, entertainment, um, especially at a younger stage. And just looking, you know, do all of those, are, are they reasonable when you match what you have done to what you expected that you might do? You know, are you going are you going nuts in any particular area? Like you say, subscriptions, or um, you know, can have you got I don't know three or four um, uh, subscriptions in place places uh, where you might have one to. But if that's your thing, right? You need to, you know, money is there to facilitate life. Really, it shouldn't mm-hmm. be a, a, a in its own right. And um, so, you know. If, if there are things that you do which you can spend money on, well, that's, that's what the money is there for. Um, in a way, planning is about maybe spreading that journey. So money is there, we would say, to kind of facilitate your lifestyle, you, you know, in a way, um, as long as the, the lifestyle is, is, is So I think strictly getting back to, to a budgetary sense, you know, the, the, the thing to do is have a, a plan around what you're going to spend and make sure that accommodates you know, what's reasonable and what you want to do in life. Um, And then, you know, take a second part of that of actually looking back at it. So at the end of the month, being able to look back and say, well, what did I actually do? So did you match, you know, did did your expenditure match your budgeting? And if not, why not? And is it reasonable then that you change your budgeting going forward? Um, You know, are, are you, is there something that you're kind of nibbling away at? and um, so rather than getting I think the, the easy thing to get caught up in budgeting is getting into really really granular detail you know did did I did I spend you know an extra I don't I buy an extra coffee and I know coffee coffee and avocados on toast are often given those yeah. examples of, especially on maybe your generation might might spend too much money on but you know there's there, there's 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 you know there's there's kind of what's within reason and then you can get to the stage of well i'm, I'm going out and I'm spending 100 quid in dinner every night you know there's there's a problem there um, but it's not to get too granular and too hung up on very very small details um yeah. I think that's that's probably my advice when it yeah
0: surprising and i think my issue is wouldn't like i make it overly complicated for myself and i have this gorgeous like excel sheet that has everything in it and then when i do that the next month i'm like oh i really don't want to do my budget up because it takes like a half an hour out of my day and um but Revolute is great because I got that wonderful if anyone doesn't have Revolute but has Spotify um, and when you get that your year in review and songs Revolute sends you your year in review and spending um so you can go through and see all the stupid stuff you have bought or how much you spent on a thing which was interesting given the year that we had for 2020 to see the different things that I had like spent um money on because it kind of breaks it down into those categories you have like entertainment health and um, groceries and stuff and um, one big thing that I got hit with last year when I went to kind of set up my pension through work was the financial advisor is talking to you was like what are your financial goals and it was never thing that I had ever thought of and um, so how do you figure out what your financial so if someone comes to you and they don't it's their first time ever thinking about it like how do we figure out what our financial goals are both kind of short and long term
1: yeah it, i suppose it, you're looking at the, there's kind of a typical life journey in a lot of this stuff um and, and again from start of career right through to kind of you know later life and retirement but uh, I suppose in setting goals, you're trying to match, and again, part of my job is to try and help people match. You know what is um, what's realistic, what's possible. Um, you know with what with what are what their aspirations are. Um, so you know if you want to um, be the next Elon Musk and set up a space program, um, you know off the. Budget of working in, in a grocery store—it's probably not going to happen, you know. So we—I'm I'm being extreme for the sake of example—but you're you're really looking to kind of to knit the two things together of saying, okay, well, you know, for a lot of people we deal with, um, you might be looking at the possibility of just having a a comfortable retirement, right? Simple—it's a simple long-term term goal. So you're saying, well, how how are we going to effectively fund that so you'll have a reasonable replacement salary in retirement? Um, and then you're looking at you're effectively looking at a lifetime cash flow on that. But I, I suppose to step back maybe uh, and, and try and frame the thing more simply. Quite you know, at an early early stage in career, you're really looking to reserve a certain amount of money. You know, for the sake of example, just refer to it as a rainy day fund or an emergency fund, or some level of buffer that you can deal with events in your life that might be unexpected. Um, you would probably then thereafter soon enough be looking at. Housing needs, saving for deposits, things like that, and um, then maybe moving on into your thirties, looking at how you more broadly manage money, funding for pensions, um, more aggressively. Um, I think there's a pension is something that's important right the way through a career, and certainly starting early makes a makes an enormous difference in that regard. But th- there are there are there are things there are things that I think are quite common to people meeting along the way. Um, mm-hmm and sit down yeah everyone is individual everyone is different but it's not again you know it has been done before right I suppose it's it's yeah they're kind
0: of yeah they're kind of the key milestones like you said like the deposit the rainy day fund um and you you mentioned emergency funds so what like what is an emergency fund for anyone listening
1: yeah I think it's the way we tend to look at that is if you would say it's, it, we look at it generally as a, as a proportion of an annual income. So it's effectively a buffer, right? If you, you know, if you end up, say, out of a job in the morning and you need to sustain yourself for a period of time, you know, you can't do it without money. Money just provides you with options and choices. I think and having, having reserves of money, allowed, that's what it allows you to do. We would say as a, as a goal for, say, someone early in their career, to have reserves of roughly 3 months of their household expenditure i think that's that's an important way of framing it in that going back to your budgeting questions um you know if you have 3 months of your outgoings covered you probably have enough time to deal with anything unexpected in life um we would tend to say over a lifetime so maybe working out to age 60 65 70 coming up on a normal retirement age you might want to have expanded that amount to maybe 12 months um, of, of household outgoings but as a reasonable first goal if you're sitting there you've started earning a salary um, you've nothing in reserve you know a, first, a reasonable first objective is to say okay well I'm just going to start saving a small amount every month ma- every month um, in some sort of structured manner and most preferably in some sort of sl- somewhat unaccessible manner um, to, to put that amount of money away and just start to build it up and once you reach you know a, a comfortable level of Three months or thereabouts, presuming all things are equal and there's no particular health or uh, other issues to be concerned about, um, that's I think that's a, generally a good first step in financial planning, and it also brings in a financial discipline and a lot of you know a lot of a lot of planning involves a level of discipline as you know if you're setting a budget well, you know uh, there is a discipline in doing that in its own right.
0: Yeah, and definitely and for anyone listening, I actually recently started um discovered over the Christmas period when I was setting my kind of 2021 financial goals that Revolut has a thing called vaults. So you can set up a vault and have it automatically um come out each week or you can and you can deposit like spare change in it so if you make a purchase on your revenue the spare change goes automatically into your savings so it's kind of that kind of you don't even think about it and it's automated or if you wanted to kind of make it fun for yourself which I'm restarting this year I know I would spoken about this before I have this godforsaken jar um from one to 150 pieces of paper and i put my hand in each week and i pull a piece out and that is the piece that i then need to put into my vault and um, so i am restarting that this february and um, just as part of the how to Me an adult series but it has made me kind of actively know each week that i have to save a portion of my income and then i naturally kind of got into it and um, and when you say like emergency fund, you've built, say I have built up three months. So if anything happens, God forbid, with my employment or if I have to take leave or anything, um, is the emergency fund, say if I have car, like what can I dip into my emergency fund for?
1: I I think the, the, the basic answer is to try not to dip into it at all. But yeah. for events that, I think really you're looking at it as a reserve for for unexpected events. You know, losing a job, being things like that. Yeah. Could be, you know, it, it could be a thing like you have to travel to work and the the, the car has broken down. You know, um, you, I I would tend to recommend that it's somewhat inaccessible, so it doesn't become a thing of well, you know, it's an emergency now that I go to the cinema this evening. Um, so I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. dipping in there. That's what a current account is for. Um. I, I got to say, I love your gamification idea there. Of you know, your your jar dipping in and saying, "Okay, well, I have got to do that." And um, some some people would think of these things, um, and it would be, a, a, I suppose, a, a kind of slightly older school, harder way of thinking of these. Is you know, you should really be spending what you can't save rather than saving what you can't spend. Um, mm. I, I wouldn't be quite that 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 hard around it, um, but the really. The idea of the emergency fund is trying to put something away, nearly a nest egg as well, something that you don't touch unless you absolutely have to. You know, so having when when I I try to encourage people not to be excessively hard and fast, um, when they you know in a rules based way around this, in that that money is money that you're just saying I'm just not going to touch unless I absolutely have to, unless something comes up that causes you to have to do that, um you know you should possibly be looking to have a small buffer of cash that isn't per se designated as your emergency fund if that makes sense
0: yeah and that that kind of brings me on to you so initially kind of say if a person started with an emergency fund so I have kind of I started in 2020 and and it led on to 2021 um but then I started to create say faults or say sinking funds or wh- whatever you want to refer to it for other kind of different things in life. So like my boyfriend and I just started randomly putting money aside for things we might want to do post-COVID if the world is okay again. So we're not just expending out money. Cause we we often tend to say if we book a holiday, book it from one kind of paycheck, whereas I'm trying to be really good with things and put money aside. So if we want to do something, we can go, oh, we've built up extra, we can use that. Um. so would you kind of if if someone has got kind of comfortable with that idea of an emergency fund and is putting into it to kind of start those, say, rainy day funds for other things. So say I drive a car. So I've often considered, obviously, you know, the expense that comes with the car each year, your tax, your insurance, your everything. So I've considered setting up and then if God forbid, if something goes wrong, the added expense of that. So I've considered setting up a fund this year um, for car expenses. So it'll build up, and then by next year, when I go to pay my tax, my insurance, everything like that, hopefully I'll have that next egg. Um,
1: yeah, Daniel, absolutely bang on, um, and the, and the very much the right approach. You know, so if you're if you guys want to go on holidays and you think, well, yeah, that might be however many months away, and you start putting the money away now. Um, and then you're you're in a position to pay for it rather than say you know taking a short term loan or going into an overdraft or using credit cards to pay for it. Um, that just is is eminently sensible. Um, if you think about it, you know, cost of short term credit, cost of short term money is extremely high. You know so you're 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 paying a significant premium for your holiday if you borrow against it rather than saving for it. Um, and that that's you know that, that's quite a differential. You know, if you build it, if you build those figures over time, so being able to work from the resources that you have rather than dipping into dipping um, into the red effectively um, to to fund those things makes an awful lot of sense. So yeah, if you're again motoring makes makes sense if you have some level of sinking fund towards replacing a car, you know, repairing a car, whatever it might be, um, that makes a lot of sense. We find quite often that that people who are not quite at the very start of their career, but maybe moving into their later twenties and starting to do well, you know, you then you start looking at um, shiny things like that because they become accessible because credit becomes more accessible. Um, but trying to work with pre-funding things from your own resources rather than borrowing against them um, is possibly one of the best things that you can do financially,
0: and yeah.
1: over a lifetime, you know, of creating, a, um, you know if. if it, it's it might sound like a funny way of doing it, but creating a level of wealth when i refer to wealth it's just effectively having choices it's having funds in reserve that allow you to make choices in the future um using you know by by prefunding stuff rather than borrowing against it
0: you
1: yeah know, and of, of money.
0: yeah and then so we, we you kind of touch on borrowing there so like what would you say is the most kind of I had said kind of efficient but the most sensible way to borrow if you need to borrow so say like I would have borrowed for um educational purposes like there was no way I was going to be able to pay 24 25 thousand to qualify um but what what is the most kind of sensible way you would advise people that if they do need to borrow how to go about it?
1: And um, the and not to not to be curt or anything, borrow the cheapest money you possibly can. You know, the, the lower the lower the cost yeah. of them, The better in absolute terms. That's you know that's the only real honesty, no matter what tag we put on it. Borrowing for education is you know that that makes sense because you're 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 accelerating your your career effectively. You're accelerating earnings. Ed, education is the greatest leveler in this world. Um, when, it, you know, when it comes to creating equality, but that would be you know, from it, 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 taking all sorts of the nice arguments out of it economically. Right? Um, edu- uh, someone with a higher level of education is likely to have a higher level of salary. So yeah, it does make sense to fund education um, through debt at an early stage in life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but with regards to how you source that money or where you borrow it from, um, again, this is probably matching what's what's possible. Um, you know, with in absolute terms, I'd saying if you could, you know, take a, a if you could take a mortgage debt against a property, that's cheaper money um, than taking a credit card loan. But if you don't have the capacity mm. to do that, just the assets and resources where well, you just can't do it, so you're going to have to use what is possible. Um, so I mean, but borrowing is something, for the most part, we try and discourage. We um, mm. try to, to get people to, uh, and I, I'm going to sound very old and boring, but kind of live within their means in a way, to um, yeah. make certain exceptions to so that, borrowing for education. Yeah, I think that's, the, you know, that, that's prudent um borrowing no
0: no yeah no running down to the credit union for your holiday with the girls
1: <laughs> yeah no I, I, again that, and that's the kind of thing that tends to cripple people right um yeah you know, where we quite often would would see this kind of stuff is possibly with with people maybe coming up into their late 20s and 30s is they've gone and, and they haven't a couple of small loans you know small term loan with the bank probably for a holiday or something like that maybe a car loan You know, um, and all all these things are 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 kind of eating into their ability to, a save, you know, maybe make pension contributions, or at an earlier stage in life to to raise a mortgage, uh, you know, on a Mm. home, Um, and that at a point in time becomes quite important. It's a big big item, and it's challenging to put the put the deposit monies together for for Mm. most people. Some people will be lucky in that they might have assistance from parents, but, you know, you have a big moving part there and carrying around a lot of debt um, tends to be a challenge when it comes to that. So we, we'd say try to use, you know, in life, try to utilize as little debt as possible um, and live from what you're you're making. So essentially, essentially nearly all financial planning, unless you're dealing with someone who, who has you know, maybe at a later stage in life, so it was just something so as a, a large amount of money, or maybe it's inherited a lot of money for most people. Financial balance starts really with income, you know, so it's how you allocate that income that is going to really have, have the biggest impact on, on your long term results.
0: Yeah, um, and you touched on it there, um, in terms of like, um, debt, and there are obviously debt that's better than others, so kind of the, the credit card debt is is never a good one because um, obviously it's, it's a high cost for for what you're getting. Um, is how much debt is bad debt, if that makes sense? So we my boyfriend and I always get into a debate about this because um, I obviously, because my education and I got a car loan and be in debt, but I would have... Like I would, would have a really good, say, financial record, even though I've borrowed because I've always met payments and I've paid off before the kind of the, the end of term of the loan and stuff like that in, in most scenarios. But what, how much debt is like bad debt?
1: Um, I think <laughs> yeah. um, no debt is good debt in a way, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, look, you make a good point there in that having a good profile to, to how you behave financially is, is beneficial. And um, you know, in that you've met payments on time and uh, that kind of thing. So the, you're looking at, I suppose, a, a credit history there and keeping that in good repair is important. And, um, you know, so you don't limit your choices. And again, a lot of this, uh, I keep talking about choices, but um, by by behaving, you know, in accordance with the terms of whatever you do, is I suppose a first step if you employ debt. How much be- debt is bad debt? That's that's a difficult. Um, that's a difficult. Yeah. Um, I, I, m- and again, I I I would try continually to encourage people to try and steer in as much as they can away from it. But if, if you've a car loan, you need to travel to work. Well, you know, yeah, if you have a car loan. The question quite often for me would be you know what's the if someone is talking to me what's the the scale of that you know in relation mm. to their to their salary and what's the, you know are, are you providing utility that's required in life are you providing that little bit more which might be nice um you know with regards to, to to what you're buying so you know obviously there's the utility of the transport is required um and the choice of how nice and um comfortable that is to some extent, uh, you know, that's a discretionary choice. So you, mm-hmm. you're making a compromise by, instead of buying a, I don't know, a, a 5,000 euro car that gets you from A to B versus a brand new car for 30,000 euros and borrowing against it, you know, there's there's a discretion in that surplus amount there, if that makes sense. That yeah. Yeah. So my reckoning, maybe that twenty five thousand would be a bad choice, and the five thousand would be a good one. Yeah, um, but, you know, I'm being kind of, I'm being somewhat flippant. Um, then the 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 trick is, the the difficulty is probably when, um, you know, people are burdened by the amount of debt that they yeah. have, um, and that they would be challenged in paying, you know, in paying it on a monthly basis, or it's really putting a strain on them. Um, so again, uh, going back to my earlier point of. You know, money is there to facilitate your life. And um, if you are feeling constantly under pressure because you're trying to meet uh, payments that you're, you're you're struggling to do well, then that's when debt has become a bad thing. Um, and you know, they, you need to really start to consider to to how you kind of whittle it down. And um, over time, you'll find you know people tend to. I suppose there's an early stage in career and life where there are these things you just need to do. And that's whether you're getting, whether you're talking about a, a car or whatever, or maybe at the early stage after buying a house, there is a level of debt and probably a constraint there to income. You know, whereas as time goes on, maybe the value of the assets will have increased um, and the size of the salary will have gone up. So the, we were saying in this business, and I think it's probably one of the, the, the truest things, is that people have a tendency to live up to their income. You know, so yeah. if what we would try and encourage people to do is over time create a kind of broader wedge between income and what's going out the door. So I suppose going back to your your debt question, you know, rather than continually upgrading lifestyle, upgrading a car and so forth, and yeah, more and more debt in as the the ability as the capacity to do that uh, expands through an income expanding, that maybe the the, the, the prudent choice is to be a little bit more conservative um, and not increase those parts, but then reserve more of the money to to provide more future choices and then maybe be able to do things like buy the new car without using debt at all in the first place.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like having debt is okay if it's debt within your means. So all of my debt (laughs) is within my means. Like it was all calculated for if that makes sense. And even when I decided to upgrade car it was a conscious choice because I was having so many issues with my older car that I was probably expending not the exact same but like I'd say the guts of three or four loan repayments a year on getting services or, or things fixed so it just made more and I've had no issues thank god touch wood but like it just made more sense economically and a lot of things reduced so my insurance went down my tax went down significantly so I think before you get into debt making a more reasoned decision to get into debt um I think some people just kind of do it um, and yeah. don't kind of think of the consequences they don't see if it sits within their means. But if you, if it's, yeah. A, yeah.
1: What you're describing there a little bit though is your, your car in a way, it's like a pair of shoes, right? If it wears that, yeah. you need to replace it. So, but going back to your earlier thoughts of say, reserving into, into vaults and, and such like, yeah. like the revolution example, you know, over a period of time, maybe, you can displace the requirement to borrow against a car by yeah. having reserved an amount of, uh, of cash, which will allow you then to, to make that choice, say, to, to change the car based on money that you already have. And then you're not paying for it, right? So if you're, if you're paying the bank 8 or 10% or whatever it might be in interest, well, you don't have that outgoing. So there is more of your income then available to you to make choices. I suppose the, the difficulty with debt is you're, you're displacing your ability to to save, yeah, um, and that might be reserving your longer term money or looking at tax efficient structuring like pensioning and uh, pensions and such a, like a, a way of creating that those reserves. You know, so that's yeah, that's the, 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 you know debt debt yeah, used judiciously. I mean, it's something that's a factor in everyone's life. I know very few people who can simply save up and buy a house. You know, um, yeah. so fairly much everyone ends up with a mortgage along the way. Or um, like you say, a car owner, or, or, or such like, but it's just to be, to be maybe somewhat um, tight about that, for want of a better word, you know. Yeah. Uh, and being very cautious in how debt is used, rather than looking at it and saying, "Okay, well, you know, I can get this, so I will take," you know, and that's the living up to the, the lifestyle bit. Looking at it and saying, "Well, you know, I look, you know, the car is nice, but that's a nicer one. I'll upgrade to that." Still does the same thing. Still gets you to work in the morning. Yeah. It's, um, it's just being kind of judicious about about how, how you use debt. I think that's probably the best kind of guiding line, rather than taking an absolute. Well, if I have a uh, you know if I a percentage of debt of X of my salary, it's bad. You know. Yeah. If it, if you handle it. It's bad. That's that's uh, or if it's putting you under pressure, it, it's bad. Or if you're taking on debt that you don't really need to take on, you, that's probably imprudent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then maybe to kind of um, finish up on this topic, I'd be interested to see kind of what big financial mistakes you've seen kind of either clients or either just from your experience um, over the years um, advising people about uh, finances um, and how can anyone listening avoid these? So one of them is taking debt on without without so living beyond your means um but are there any other kind of big financial mistakes that you've seen people make and how we can kind of avoid these
1: yeah the, i suppose this is this is probably one of my favorite topics um in a way and you probably you've hit the nail on the head to start with you know I, like living up to income tends to be the biggest you know overarching mistake right then that, that people make so rather than Rather than reserving um, money, or every time there's an increment or an increase in salary, um, rather than you know using that for lifestyle purposes, using a mm-hmm. reserving a larger amount of that would be the correct decision. More, not more often than not, but quite often, people will just expand um, their lifestyle. Um, so that you know, that's if you touch on that. But outside of that, we find there's probably more nuanced things. There, there was a brilliant report uh, done in Canada in 2012 by a crowd called Serrano. Um, and it was an econometric report. It, came, it really kind of looked at the value of financial advice. Um, so again, of course, this is something I'd hang my hat on. Um, but it, it called a number of factors into play um, about why people who take advice tend to um, have better outcomes. And it, it, they, it came, they, they broke the thing down to a number of key factors. The first being um, that people who took advice tend to use more efficient structures. So this is when you actually have money to reserve in the first place. Um, how you structure that will have a big difference, will have a big difference to the long-term outcome. Um, so, you know, an easy example is a pension. If you put money into a pension, um, you're, any, firstly, you get relief on the income tax. So you're, you're giving, um, it's net versus growth money or net versus gross money going in, um you're looking um also then at any growth on, on investment gains or any income generated being tax free. So all of a sudden, you know the easy example that, that we would have is someone who buys an investment property within a pension um versus someone who buys one outside of a pension, they generally have, they generally effectively double their return by doing it within the tax wrapped structure. Um, the uh, I, outside of that, people who take advice tend to take a little bit more investment risk, and um, because they tend to understand it, you know. So being overly conservative actually can be as bad as being, you know, overly flahuluk in a way. Um, mm-hmm. If you are money away and you're just reserving it into the into a bank account as cash, over time, I know we've we've been living the last number of well, last decade plus in a very low inflation environment. But over time, we'd say typically over 20 years, um, the value of, of your, your, your money will reduce by t- maybe a quarter um, just by the effect of inflation. i um, giving, they're, they're not precise numbers, they're dealing with a specific time period. But inflation over time will erode the value of your money. So, you know, cash isn't a suitable vehicle for money over time. So, people, people holding too much cash tends to be a, a considerable mistake. Um, quite the opposite of what we were talking about on the other side of improving, yeah. and not borrowing too much money. Um, so you know, it, there's there's kind of one set of mistakes in how you are, in, in how you might allocate money, one set of mistakes in, in, in um, then how you might reserve it. You know, so that's probably we find th- those kind of larger factors. You know, it, it comes down to the nuance after a point of time if that makes makes sense on the mistakes that you might make, and they t- they maybe get more individualized based on circumstances at a point in time if that's not too imprecise
0: yeah no definitely and like it's um it's interesting that you say kind of being because i think if you are too conservative with your money and not likely to kind of invest it or take that risk you're not getting the kind of payout that a particular person might get if, if they're riskier with their money, like riskier in a good way, riskier in a, will take chances on investing yeah, in
1: items. And the, the, the other factor, so going back to my favorite report there again, um, the the other factor that, that came into play is, and again, it was people who were advised, but people tend to make mistakes based on their own bias. You know, people tend to, in a market cycle, when everyone is talking about stock prices flying through the roof, people take an interest in doing it. You know, at the moment, everyone's talking about Bitcoin and Tesla shares. Um, is that because they're good investments? No, it's because everyone's talking about them because the, the price has soared up and everyone wants to be part of that journey. You know, the the, the horse is bolted in a way at this stage. Um, so, you know, people tend to get caught up in kind of euphorias and on the, uh, on the opposite side of that, when, you know, the world crashes, go back to a, a 2008 scenario um, people get very scared and they start to, you know, they, they tend to sell into markets that are falling. Um, really, if someone if someone can be steady and ride their way consistently through a cycle and stick stick effectively to their plan, they're much likely to have a better outcome. So avoiding um, you know, kind of natural biases and um, behaviors which would feed into, I suppose, either either feeling a little bit excited about something or a little bit scared about something. Um, you know that can help a lot in long in long run outcomes
0: yeah that's so interesting because i've literally just because you with forever Leap, you get so many commission-free trades um for stocks per month i'm not sure the exact figure but i've started now when i say i've started to dabble and have a look into stocks and try and get my head around it um like it would be very kind of conservative uh monies that i would be putting in but it's just, just from like watching that and seeing that, like you can you can see the trends for the past kind of 12 months um on stocks, and you can see having huge kind of dips in some stocks and then um a huge uplift the month after. And you can yeah. see how the kind of conservative person around kind of say um the time of the crash would have probably panicked sell their stocks off for like a third of the value. Whereas people yeah. that had the ability to kind of ride the wave and still have their stocks, they've probably boomed and gone back up to, to more value now.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, Daniel. The, the long-term outcomes tend to be somewhat predictable. Like nothing that happens in the future is is predictable, I suppose. as, as uh, it Yeah. It. But long-term returns tend to be you know, going back to stock markets, um, if you look at long-run data, and there's data going back well over 100 years, say, for the S&P 500 in in, in the States, which is probably the major index of large companies in the world with the, the longest-run data. Um, and if you if you analyse that, if you look at a, t- a 20-year um, outcome, um, it, it's quite a predictable thing, you know, and it's it tends to be, I don't think there's any period where you can look at the, the S&P 500 um, with a 20-year time frame and have a negative outcome. I think you look at anything between six and 12% positive return. Whereas if you take a one year time frame, you could be looking at, you know, plus or minus 50, 60% quite easily. So the, the one thing I think in understanding investment and looking at how managing money over a longer period of time, uh, duration is your friend. Um, mm. you know, the only reasonable home for money that you need to spend, say next year, say your money to go on holiday um the only the only correct place to keep that is in cash in in the yeah bank. it's pretty much utterly predictable you know your your holiday is going to cost you fifteen hundred quid and you have fifteen hundred quid to pay for it if you stick that in you know a single share. Uh, if you stick that in, the, if you stick, stick that in the whole market, which gives you a lot of diversification benefit, which I suppose is another topic, but um, you know you're going, you could look at a, uh, you could look at your fifteen hundred euros being worth seven hundred and fifty or two and a half grand, you know, um, neither of which is what you require. You need fifteen hundred to pay for your holiday, um, but over a, over a longer period of time, keeping that money in cash is, is the wrong thing to do. Um, and you can, you know, if you're bringing in, if you're bringing, if you're looking at investing that money, then you can look at a relatively, you can set a risk level and look at a relatively predictable set of outcomes. So again, that makes planning possible. But duration when it comes to managing money is is absolutely your friend.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, do you, I've one kind of final question kind of on this topic, but do you think there's any kind of, I don't mean to say because obviously there's been so much unemployment and redundancy and everything, but there's any kind of financial gain. So a lot of people were talking about the property market at this time because of COVID. They predicted it, the prices were going to go down and that people should invest now um, if they have the means rather than later. But that doesn't seem to be kind of happening. I know some friends who are purchasing at the moment just because this was the window that they had planned to purchase um, but are there any financial um, kind of wins due to kind of COVID and everything that has happened over the, the past 12 months?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's such a complicated question. Yeah. Um, and there are so many factors in. I think, firstly, you know, trying to protect the future is, uh, is nearly a, a kind of a, a fool's mission in a way, mm. you know, if I could do that, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be away <laughs> somewhere um, and, and, and doing nothing. Um, but yeah, co- I mean, COVID has been a big factor. If you look at it, it, it's had on like don't in in as far as I understand, in kind of all recorded data, there has never been such an impact on output, you know, on on GDP uh, as COVID caused early in the in the cycle. The world fell out, fell off a cliff. Regarding what was produced, what was done, economic output, um, but did that have a, an effect on asset prices? You know, so um, well, not not particularly. Um, but there's a lot of other factors at play um, in that. The home, there's you know, we're following quantitative easing and all these other systems of providing money and supporting the financial stability that central banks and effectively uh, states have done around the world. Um, you know, that 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 provides a counterbalance to that kind of thing. So there's there's a lot more factors feeding in. H- housing is interesting. I think a lot of people were expecting a, a strong correction, and maybe there was a bit of a pause. Um, but you know, there's you're looking at basic supply and demand factors there. And Ireland has been interesting since since the, the last bust in that there probably mean more people needed homes than there were homes available. Um, yeah which is
0: interesting because i actually work um my day job is um i work in with people who are homeless are at risk of homelessness and there's a huge supply issue there um which is interesting because obviously everyone will say like there's all the ghost estates and stuff that would have come up during the time of the the celtic tiger that are now just sitting um derelict and um yeah, that is the thing and that's terrifying. And it's the thing that has t- driven me away from purchasing in the Dublin kind of area because you're not, I, I don't think you're gonna get um, as much kind of value for what you do. So say my parents live in Kilkenny, I'm actually currently in Kilkenny now. Um, and I have kind of just said, yeah, I think I'll get more for what I want here then I will the kind of Dublin
1: market. Yeah, I, so. I think you're touching on something interesting there, actually. It, um, one thing that COVID has done is it's accelerated a, a transformation, I think, in how people work. So
0: yeah.
1: people are working from home. So there, there does seem to be a displacement of people who would have bought housing in, in Dublin or in a city um, to maybe looking to move back to where they're from or from the countryside. And, and buying there because simply with broadband and modern technology, we can all work remotely. So I, I think that's a that's a really interesting um, dynamic at play at the moment in in how people will deal with with housing. But I think the the other thing that I find interesting there's two things I, I find particularly interesting about housing. Firstly, again, it's it's like the car. It's going back to utility. You need somewhere to yeah. get, You know. So if you're buying, if you if you need to go, if you need somewhere to hang your hat for the next twenty years, you need a house. Um, or you need an apartment or you need some sort of home. So for the first thing housing does is provide the utility of somewhere to live um, and it allows you to do that in a manner that's, you know, instead of renting, you, you buy and you have, uh, have ownership. Um, and I like it in a way, and this is kind of, this isn't standard financial planning, thinking in a way, but I, I like the idea of having money in a home as in, you know, having a portion of your wealth effectively in your home the, the conventional wisdom is don't think of your home as an asset but actually it's a very efficient asset to, home, or sorry, to, to, to hold because um, it's treated very favorably from a tax point of view so if you sell your yeah. home, you capital acquisitions tax and you're not paying capital gains tax on it um, so you know if you have a valuable home and maybe that's that's disproportionate to to you know how it might otherwise fit in the size of your broader wealth well when you sell maybe you have a family, maybe you end up downsizing eventually and you're selling that asset, then you're getting actually a very efficient return um on that. You know, so you'll have a you to pay down the debt over time um by paying a mortgage. So you're chipping away at what you borrowed in the first place. That's effectively a substitute for rent to provide you with the utility of somewhere to live. But at the same time you're reserving that money as you pay down the thing. Possibly the thing has grown in value over time. Um, And then you have a substantial moving part, um, you know, say, if you want to downsize at retirement. So it becomes it can become an interesting dynamic financially, um, as well as just the pure purpose of having somewhere to live.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's more kind of like so uh, my parents would treat um, their house as like their home. They would never think of it as an asset, whereas. When I think of me purchasing a house and saving up for a deposit at the moment, I very much think that I'm purchasing an asset and that what I can then do with that asset post if I ever decided to, like it's it's in terms of like the value and stuff that goes into it. Thank you so much um, for all your time. Um, If you want to maybe kind of, if you're comfortable with to let people know where they can find you or... I um, hope they can kind of contact you if, if, if they want to chat more um, about finance and get some financial advice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm Penny Penny. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn or you'll find our business at smpfinancial.com. Um, so more than happy to talk to anyone. But again, uh, as I was saying, uh, you know the financial broker website from Brokers Ireland is a great resource to be able to find someone local as well. So if you don't want to talk to me directly, there, there are... There are quite a few of us out in this world who, who are yeah. you know well equipped to assist
0: yeah and you're based in the dublin area
1: i am south dublin for the most part yep um, okay but have, have car will travel
0: yeah <laughs> perfect but,
1: sorry i qualify that by saying in ordinary times
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, uh, within your five kilometer read at the moment um but exactly. i thank you so much for for coming on it's been it's been super interesting like i definitely it's it's given me a lot of food for thought um it makes me feel kind of smug in a way um because i feel like i'm a bit ahead of myself but i always thought i was behind but now i feel a bit ahead so it feels it feels good
1: excellent well, a pleasure to talk to you, Daniel, and I hope I've provided you with something of a little interest, at least. Yeah.